Welcome. As Jim, or rather, as, as my colleague Ian Cook mentioned, I'm Anne Goodyear. I'm the Associate Curator of Prints and Drawings here at the National Portrait Gallery. And one of the areas that I've been interested in for quite, quite a while is self-portraiture. And indeed, we've had a wonderful opportunity here at the Portrait Gallery to think very intensively about the status of self-portraiture in the 20th century. Some of you may have had an opportunity last summer to see an exhibition we did called Reflections, Refractions, Self-Portraiture um, in the 20th century, which gave us an opportunity to think very broadly about experimental, portrait, experimental approaches to depicting the self. And one of the things I've learned by looking at self-portraiture in recent years is that there's very little we can take for granted about the choices an artist makes particularly in this era when we think about um, the opportunity to work with digital imaging or photography. We are confronted in this instance with the question of why painting? And not only why painting, but why in an era that privileges size above all, has a talented contemporary artist chosen to work at such an intimate scale? I think there's no question that the first time I saw Jim Torok's work, the thing that made the strongest impression upon me of all was the fact that it was so tiny. Nowadays, we think about photographers such as Thomas Struth or Thomas Roof working extraordinarily large and often projecting mugshot-like formats to um, sizes that are almost impossible to fathom. And rather than working that way, Jim, who looked very carefully at those photographs, began to think of the status of the relationship of photography to painting. And instead of working large, realized that he could accomplish something incredibly intense and powerful in a very small format. Jim, um, this, is, this is about as large as Jim works, where portraiture is concerned. Um, really, generally speaking, not larger than this four by three um, by the, than this four by three format. And in terms of scale, something else that really intrigues me is although the format is extremely small and quite intimate, the scale of time is somewhat disproportionate. In fact, it takes approximately a year for Jim to create his portraits. And as you can see from looking around this gallery, like John Singleton Copley, Jim Torok is very much interested in portraying a range of sitters. And so when he chooses to do a self-portrait, it's something special. He has, in fact, over the course of his career, done a number of self-portraits. And the original assumption I had in looking at his self-portrayals was that Jim did what artists have done for centuries, since at least the 15th century, which is to look at themselves very intensely in the mirror and to produce a likeness based on what they see reflected back at them. But in fact, when Jim Torok spoke recently at the Portrait Gallery, I was very intrigued to learn that there is a wonderful collaborative dimension to his approach to self-representation. And that is that his wife, Mary Carlson, who's also an artist, takes photographs of him. So Jim, interestingly enough, introduces um, an element of um, the, the other an element of this question of how does he appear to others when he creates his self-portrait. 
not only that, but Jim actually works from, from, a, variety of, from a variety of photographs in creating self-representations as when he makes portraits of others. And this is an aspect of his practice, I think, that differentiates it in very important ways from, port from, from photographic portraiture. And this was one of the ways in which he wanted to distance himself from some of his peers who do work um, with, with the camera. One of the things that Jim um, has spoken about that strikes me is the fact that getting to know somebody is something that happens over time. And that's the type of experience that he has in creating likenesses. Every time that he returns to work on a portrait, and as I said, over the course of a, approximately a year, he's actually looking at a different picture. And so one of the things I was curious about was to know whether he worked exclusively on eyes, whether he did eyes for several subjects at once, or whether he just did lips. But no, in fact, he's taking a very holistic approach to the uh, description and capturing of likeness. And in fact, this notion of likeness is something that is extremely intriguing to him. One of the questions he always asks is, what does it mean to make something resemble something? What is that nuance that makes an image resemble the person it is said to represent? And so when he creates portraits such as this one, I think he's very much interested in capturing an individual as that person appears over time. Not just in a single instant, but trying to grapple with what is it like to spend time with that person. And indeed, over the course of a year, as you can imagine, Jim has the opportunity to spend a good deal of time thinking about this issue of resemblance and likeness. Something that might strike you, perhaps as odd, um, is the fact that his subjects have a somewhat solemn appearance, himself included, and Jim is very deliberate about that. Um, Jim feels as though a smile introduces an element of artificiality into the portrait. It's something actually that we really only do in an instant, in a split, mo split second moment, which makes the smile extremely attractive to photographers who only have to capture um, an instantaneous view of an individual. But really, when we know somebody and we feel comfortable with them, there's a way in which we allow our faces to relax, our expressions become more intense, and we're not necessarily concerned with putting on a sort of mask. And so Jim is actually quite deliberate that it's important that his subjects have a sense of being relaxed and comfortable in the presence of the individuals who are with them in the gallery. Um, for those of you who have had an opportunity to look closely at the portrait, it, the subtle sense of humor that infuses it may be very evident to you. And it's something that I especially love. When I look at this portrait and I see this wonderful hat that says Jim across it. So there, Jim, Jim Torak himself does have an extremely wonderful and dry sense of humor. And it's a detail about this portrait that I must say makes me think about John Singleton Copley, who in the 18th century, 225 years before Jim Toroff was working, was thinking in similar terms about what does it mean to introduce oneself to an audience. And here Jim very playfully is wearing a trucker's cap emblazoned with his name. And indeed, Jim's look is very democratic. It's very contemporary. And this is another hallmark of his portraiture. I think it's, it's extremely important to him to capture people 
as they appear in a day-to-day -day context. And I think he is interested in capturing a sense of the democratic, the democratic context in which we live our lives. In the past, when sitters came to sit for artists, there was often a sense of trying to stylize oneself, um, to dress up, to don, to don some type of um, costume, if you will. And so that's something else that I think Jim has very deliberately moved away from. He's also talked a great deal about his delight in glasses. And for those of you who have an opportunity to come up and take a close look at this portrait, I really urge you to look very carefully at the way that light is playing across that surface. There's just an extraordinary finesse and level of craftsmanship to, this, to these portrayals that I find endlessly fascinating. And indeed, I think one of Jim's hopes is that as people get to know his portraits and to spend time with them, there will be the opportunity always to see new nuances in them. And again, I think that's part of the reason, part of the, the um, method to spending as long as he does with each of these with each of these portraits. Another thing that I find so interesting about an artist who is um, so talented in terms of his hand is that there is an element in which Jim, I think, is also thinking about these portraits as objects that exist in the world. I find that there's almost a tactile quality to them. And indeed, if you have an opportunity to just sort of look at the side, from the side, at some of these likenesses, you'll see that they have a bit of a heft to them. Um, the images themselves may be, you know, of a scale of approximately four by three inches, but they, they're projecting out almost an inch and a half, which is a pretty significant statement under the, under the circumstances. And I think that there is a sense in which Jim is playing with the intimacy of the history of the production of miniatures. When he spoke here recently, he reminded us that historically a miniature is something that you keep close to your heart. And indeed, when we've had opportunities to visit Jim in his studio, he's been very generous, generous in allowing us to handle the portraits. So there is, I think, a sense of tactility and intimacy that's introduced by the format in which he's working. When, when he was here recently, um, and we had a chance to ask him a little bit more about his technique, one of the questions that came up was about the types of pictures that he used. Did it matter if they were film? Did it matter if they were digital? How was he using these images? Was he manipulating them at all? And one of the things I was very intrigued by is he, is, he has recently transitioned to using digital images. And one of the things that has come with that transition is that he's now actually looking at his pictures on the computer screen. And indeed, he said that that is changing his approach to lighting. And I think that this is one of the the earliest pieces that has been created using photographs that he's been looking at on the computer screen. So for those of you who are artists or photographers, um, it might just be fun to, to walk around the gallery and to think about this question of illumination. And of course, one of the things that changes when we have an opportunity to look at photographs on a screen is the quality of illumination of that image shifts significantly. And so I think that that's something that he also has been very cognizant of. And uh, we, had, we had a good time um, installing this gallery and thinking very much about the notion of the artist as the progenitor of the likenesses that we see around ourselves. And so it's been quite 
deliberate that we positioned Jim together with his wife um, on the visual axis for this, for this gallery. I'd be very happy to answer any questions or to hear your observations about the work. Ian? Yeah, his, Jim's work on um, miniature portraits um, suggests a, a very specialized kind of mindset, but I know that he also has a, a whole other mind, yes. sort of um, satirical, playful, political cartoon. Yes. I wonder if you care to comment on the sort of the duality or any um, cross-pollination. Yeah, I think, I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful point. Um, <laughs> For the sake, for obviously in the context of the portrait gallery where we're eager to think so much about the development of portrayal um, as, as it helps us to understand um, developments in American history, we've chosen to focus on the aspect of Jim's career that looks at, at likeness. However, as Ian mentions, um, he's an extremely talented and prolific artist. Uh, who also has done wonderful, wonderful paintings um, in a more cartoon-like format. Another series that I'm very fond of is something we refer to as the word paintings. Um, so Jim um, is interested in blowing, and actually interestingly enough in terms of scale, the words in the cartoons are greatly enlarged. And so he often in his word paintings or in his cartoons um, plays with an everyday idiom, a sort of quotidian, a quotidian idiom. Um, what are common phrases that we might utter to one another? And they often become the basis for a word painting. Um, his cartoons um, explore scenarios that are often quite humorous. I think he likes to reflect upon what it means to be an artist in um, the art world today. And in fact, in terms of thinking about the presence of an artist in the art world, I think something else that we've tried to tease out um, of Jim's career is the degree to which being, being cognizant of being part of a community of artists is something that has inflected his sense of identity. And in fact, if you have an opportunity to look around this gallery, you'll see other artists represented, such as Lawrence Wiener, who is a conceptual artist, and he's depicted with this an absolutely glorious um, beard. Um, Trenton Doyle Hancock, who's in the, the hallway, I'll in, in, encourage you to, to take a step outside the gallery in a moment and to look at him, um, as well as other artists um, represented in this room, patrons of the arts um, and friends of theirs. But I think that Jim is definitely very much conscious with both these paintings um, as well as um, his word paintings and his cartoons, of positioning himself within a larger community of practice. And indeed, although we're looking at a self-portrait, I think he is very much conscious of how the individual operates in a larger, in a larger sphere. So thank you for raising that. I believe that I was first introduced to Jim's work before I met him. However, I've actually known Jim for a while, I think since 2003 or something like that. So I actually have to say I knew Jim before I ever saw this portrait. And in fact, Jim was somebody who came onto our radar as curators because of um, a program that we do triennially, um, the portrait competition. 
and we're always scouring, um, scouring galleries um, to think about new talent in the world of portraiture. Um, I don't think people ever tire of looking at themselves or looking at their friends, and what's fun and exciting is to think about how does that play in a contemporary vein. And so Jim came onto our radar as somebody doing very interesting things. And in fact, um, for those of you who enjoy his work, um, he actually is represented in this year's portrait competition with a wonderful portrait of the artist Chuck Close. And in fact, um, my colleague Lauren Johnson will be speaking specifically about that piece next week. So we'll have an opportunity to think about another dimension of Jim's work um, when Lauren speaks. Uh, but something else that I think becomes extremely um, interesting as a curator and as a, you know, somebody who's interested in the arts is when one gets to know an artist, there's an opportunity to become part of the conversation. And that, I think, becomes very exciting. And uh, we've definitely always tried to communicate to Jim um, how powerful we find these works. And indeed, I find them really almost arresting. There's something that it's very seldom I find to really be drawn into something to such an extent that one doesn't want to move. I think that we're accustomed with computers and billboards and the pace of our life often to try to digest things in sound bites. And I think, interestingly enough, at this small scale, Jim's work really defies that type of practice and, in fact, really invites a sort of intimate connection, um, which I've found incredibly satisfying and intriguing. Uh-huh. I know that Jim's been doing these now, these portraits, for about 15 years mm -hmm. or so. How has the work changed over the course of the 15 years? Because I know that this is a very recent yeah. uh, portrait from 2008. You know, how does it compare with earlier you know, it's a really interesting question. I was, I've been asking myself the same question. And actually, before um, the talk started this evening, um, one of the things I was interested in doing was to compare portraits of a single individual who happens to be represented on two occasions in this gallery. And that is the artist's wife, Mary Carlson. And in fact, um, as we were developing the exhibition, we made a very deliberate choice um, to represent, not to go with series of single individuals, with the exception of Mary, and I really couldn't resist. But in fact, yeah, and thank you, Ian. She's represented on this wall. And in fact, one of the things that really intrigued me is that there are small variations um, in the details that Jim has either chosen to include or has chosen to um, portray slightly differently. Um, one of the things that actually is fun in looking around the gallery is to realize that there is, in fact, some interesting variation to Jim's approach to making portraits. Um, in some instances, um, for example, here, um, in the case of Terry Sanders, um, Jim has chosen to um, make the head slightly smaller so as to include a visual element that he found really compelling. Um, in other instances, he actually works at an even um, smaller scale. The works are even more intimate. Um, than the four by three scale. And these are choices that he actually makes himself. Um, one does not pay by, by the inch or the yard um, in the case of Jim, Jim's work. Um, I think that he, uh, in working with, with photographs of an individual and getting to know somebody, makes a choice as to what feels right in terms of getting that likeness. Um, and I will say, I guess one of the things that really 
strikes me in particular about his self-portrait, and it's um, maybe hard to say to what degree it's a product of um, self-representation and to what degree it's a, a product of the artist um, developing over time, but I will say that I think there's a quality to the eyes, an intensity of the gaze that, to my mind at least, seems to ratchet up a little bit in some of the more recent work. I've also been very struck by his treatment of hair. Um, he's talked um, about the treatment of Lawrence Wiener's beard, for example, um, and I also see the development of the, the, the strands of Mary's hair. It, it stands out to me a little bit more in this more recent portrait. So although Jim, I think, has an extraordinary facility for the, for the, the, the um, teasing out of likeness, it may be that there are certain aspects of the human face um, or the human appearance that attract his attention more or less at given moments in time. Um, but as I have also explained, I think he does see each painting as um, a sort of relationship in itself. And he's spoken about the um, extraordinary personal attachment that he feels to each of these, to each of these images. Um, and so I would, I would have to say that one of the things that strikes me very much about Jim's work is that each work demands that it be taken on its own terms. And that I've found very much intriguing. And I think it does reflect the fact that although Jim is obviously working simultaneously on several portraits, you'd have to come to that conclusion based on the fact that it takes him a year to do each one, and he's still relatively young. He is consistently refining that likeness as he comes back to images of it. Um, but I think you raise a wonderful question and uh, certainly provoke food for um, further thought. I mean, it's also the fact that faces change. Faces change. And I think that he's mm -hmm. kind of interested uh, in to see how these, pick, how, how these people, many of whom he knows well, uh, how we, over the course of our life, are going to are going to change. Right, right. And Jim has actually done multiple self-portraits, which is worth which is worth knowing. So I think he is very sensitive to the fact that inevitably hairstyles change, clothing styles change, faces change. Um, and this notion of change is an intriguing one because there is something about these likenesses that are crafted over time that I think also give the sense of being embedded in a block of wood. And in fact, he's talked about that. And one of the things that also struck me in first getting to know Jim was an interest that he has in Netherlandish art. And he talked about the fact that he was very struck that in looking at paintings that may be you know, four or five centuries old, that there is a similarity to certain facial types. People that he sees around him in the world today whose faces may be, have been captured by somebody like Bruegel. And so I think he sees himself as part of a much larger trajectory which is somewhat intriguing given the fact that the clothes his subjects wear are still contemporary. I think they read to us as still feeling very contemporary. And uh, you know, I think it, it is the case that um, in being extraordinarily modern and very much um, faithful to the moment in which one lives, that there's the capacity you know, to achieve something classic that does have a resonance over the centuries. That's interesting. 
Not to my knowledge. And the question was whether Jim has ever um, chosen to frame works in a way that might play out that historical resonance or might enable people to wear them on their person or so forth. To my knowledge, the answer is no. Um, it's my understanding that I think the works are not ever presented under glass. I think he, he really, um, he has a special system for installing the works that make them quite secure, um, but that's a great question. So not, not to my knowledge. But thank you. Yes. He 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 is commissioned on um, a great deal, and um, I think that there are also individuals with whom he has a special relationship, such as his wife Mary, um, who he is you know probably feels um, an impetus to portray. Um, but he's he he does commissions, um, and in fact. Um, I invite you um, this evening while you're with us at the Portrait Gallery to take a step across the hall to look at what I think is one of the most extraordinary portrait. In fact, maybe may, may I invite you to join me across the hall on this, on this note? Um, I'd love to, to share with you what I think is one of the truly most extraordinary, oh, thank you, um, portrait commissions that I've ever had a chance to Um, approximately um, a little over, well, I guess it's about seven, seven or eight years ago, Jim was commissioned um, by a family based in Colorado who experienced his work at a New York gallery to create a commission of three generations of their family. Um, and that is what you see on the walls around you. And so we've chosen to position the, the patriarch and the matriarch of this family on axis with the, with the artist and, and his wife. And I, I find that in looking at this group of portraits of the same family, these issues of likeness, resemblance, and also individuality come very much to the fore. Because as one looks around them in this gallery, it's very clear that these individuals are related and yet, at the same time, everybody is very much him or herself. And uh, one of the things um, that comes into this wonderful depiction of a, of a family over three generations is the fact that over the course of time, members um, of the family have been adopted. And so that raises, I think, a whole new wrinkle in this question of likeness and resemblance and the fact that resemblance often goes beyond genetics and blood relationships. And uh, this, I think, is also provides a wonderful opportunity to think about nuance in Jim's, in Jim's portrayal, because you begin to see that in some instances a little t tinge of blue is creeping into the background. In other cases, the background is left a little bit more pale. And again, I think that you'll see um, a real focus on the eyes, and when glasses do crop up, a real attentiveness to the way that light plays off of various surfaces. And uh, so with regard to this question of how he chooses subjects, I think that subjects often choose Jim. But when he connects with somebody, there is this connection that really extends over a significant period of time. 
And he, but I have to say he's spoken about the fact that it's rather painful to let portraits go after he's been working on them for so long because he developed such an, an attachment. Did your, your work, his work that you display and the one, the one next on the other side, which are larger, just remind me of the church uh, directories, you know, where snap, 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 everybody's yes. standing there like this. Yes, ab absolutely. Well, it's, it's interesting. I think this um, format... Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think one of the things um, that has evolved over the 20th century is this format of the quote-unquote mugshot. It's something that we are all familiar with, and I think it actually is something very much born out of the practice of photography and out of the desire to use images to somehow provide some type of standard by which people can be measured and compared to one another. And so I think in a funny way, and this is again maybe, and this is my interpretation, um, this is not coming from Jim directly, but I think that with this wonderful dry sense of humor that he has, there's a certain humor in inverting that formula and using it as a basis for creating paintings that are, are based on photographs, but which could be rendered any way one chooses. And actually, one of, one of the artists who served as an important model conceptually for Jim Torok is the artist Chuck Close, who may be familiar to some of you. And actually, Chuck Close also is very interested in scale, only instead of going small, he usually goes huge, and also working from photographs. But what's interesting about Chuck Close and what I think is another point of similarity with Jim, is that there is a format, a preferred format. And when Jim creates his portraits, to my, as far as I'm aware, they really all use this head and shoulders type format, this quote unquote mugshot format. And so I think that by not concerning himself too much with, with specific compositional choices, he is able to really focus in on the nuances of the human face. And in fact, it, I mean, it's amazing to me that his brush strokes, even at this tiny scale, are almost invisible. And so I think that instead of putting an emphasis on the pose in which an individual is depicted, there is a de desire to really hone in on the face and to get at this question of likeness through um, how, a person, how a person looks. And I will say something that has really struck me as as I have matured, is the fact that I do think faces come to take on traces of one's experience in the world. I mean, it's, it's almost inevitable. And so I think that there, that there is an opportunity to, to sort of read what a, a human being has experienced by looking really closely at that resemblance. And I think ultimately that this notion of the faces that we carry with us and that if we're lucky enough, we carry through time in a portrait such as this, may be the sort of element that create these wonderful interconnections between the present and the past. And it's ultimately, I think, in, in, in a desire to find ways that we can both rethink our history and to let history um, shape the, the insights we have into the present condition that we have actually set up this series, Portraiture Now, and have done so deliberately in a format that enables us to create comparisons between contemporary work and the work of artists um, you know, of, of centuries gone by. 
So I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. Thank you so much. And I'm so grateful for your questions and insights. And um, for anybody who wishes to linger for a few minutes, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But thank you so much. And again, I commend Lauren Johnson to you next week, speaking about Jim Torok's portrait of Chuck Close. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.